Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Real Estate Matters. For over nine years, the voice of real estate in Flagler County in Palm Coast, Florida. I'm Toby Tobin. I'm a Florida licensed commercial realtor with Grand Living Realty. This show is brought to you every week by the Flagler County Home Builders Association, Klein Construction, and American Village, a gated 55-plus community. And I'm a, a newly arrived resident in that community. And I always like to put in a non-paid-for plug for my church, Hammock Community Church, little church in the in the hammock, a church the way it used to be, with services, traditional services at 9 and 11 every Sunday morning. I'd like to see you come in. I'm there every week. Get to meet me in person. We've got a couple good shows coming up, this show and next show. Uh, we're we're recording them both the same day because oh, uh, man, record on Thursdays. Oh. Yeah, uh, next Thursday's Thanksgiving, so we're going back to back, and we have the same guests for both shows. We're lucky enough to have Jason DiLorenzo, chief of staff. Good morning, from, Toby, uh, for the city of Palm Coast, and former co-host of this show. And we have Ray Tyner, who's the deputy chief. Development officer for the city. Hi, Ray. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. And what we want to talk about uh, this week and next week is uh, a, a lot of what they do. Uh, I've seen some of you listeners at uh, planning board meetings and more likely city council meetings, and you've seen how they run and they talk about. Land Development Co., they talk about flume amendments, amending the comprehensive plan, the land development code, and zoning. And it's pretty complicated, and some some projects have to go through more steps than others, depending on how complicated they are, how many uh, residential units, for instance, that's one of the breakpoints uh, as to which of the steps they have to go to, but it's a lot of people, in, and I'll have to say including some uh, members of city council sometimes, exhibit that they don't really realize what the difference is between uh, a flume amendment and what you talk about when you're doing a flume amendment or comprehensive plan amendment. Uh, each stage has its place, and sometimes people get out of their out of their lane. So hopefully after this week and next week, everybody will know a little bit more about uh, the process because basically what you do is you start with raw land out there someplace, some visionary or maybe a fool, but they may be, or both, uh, but they'll look at that land and they'll say, I I can see a palace there, and they'll decide they're going to build a palace there or maybe just a subdivision, but that land is probably zoned agricultural, and it's got uh, the primary use is silviculture, which is tree tree farming. So it's got to go through a lot of processes. It's got to be rezoned. Uh, it has to have the proper um, uh, assignment of use. Uh, it's got got to have um, the wetlands delineated because that's a big issue, and you have to course, be conservationally uh, astute when you do something. And it's, you, you have, it takes months and sometimes even years to go through the process of 
turning a piece of dirt into a property that can be is approved for development, whether that development is multifamily or mixed use or street commercial or residential. So that's what we're going to talk about today and again next week. Uh, but before we get into that, I'll just bring you up to date on a couple numbers. Here we are basically halfway through the month of November. So I've got uh, November month to date <clears throat> numbers as of about noon today. Uh, 105 homes sold month to date. Uh, and we're, we're really on uh, track to probably beat last November number of homes sold. The median price is month to date 360,900. It was 380,000 last November, but November was a little higher than October or December last year. So we're the market price-wise has been going pretty much sideways for the last year or so. Other uh, five sales over a million dollars already this month, all were for cash. And that's a trend we're we're seeing a lot more of lately. And in fact, out of the top 15 sales, uh, the, the size of the sale, million plus, or the total total dollar amount of the sale, out of the top 15, 13 were for cash. Wow. That's that's amazing. Most people don't, and that's uh, what we're seeing is that days on market is is 35, which is a very low number for days on market. And and some of the over million dollar homes are have like two days on market, six days on market. So if they're priced right, they're going they're going quickly. And there's plenty of demand out there for people that don't have to struggle to afford a home. Yeah, Toby, <clears throat> I think um, there's a lot of equity built up around the country in certain pockets of the country. And uh, when you move to Florida, particular our, our area, Florida, which is the you know a median of six of three sixty is mm-hmm. you know fairly high, but it's not it's St. John's County. Me- no, it's below the Florida median, which mm-hmm. is below the national median. Right. So, you know, we're we're a pretty affordable county if you think about it that way. For someone who has a lot of equity, they built up in a home up north or in South Florida and is moving to this area. And so um, that's a pretty interesting number. 13 of 15 highest sales are cash. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So far this month to that's date. unbelievable. Yeah, and next month won't be quite the same, and last month wasn't either. It's a, it's a little bit of a blip, but we've seen for the last year, year and a half, that the high end of the market has, has been predominantly cash. Mm-hmm. And to your to your point, Jason, too, the pockets of the country where our median price is sort of negligible, it's kind of refreshing sometimes to talk to people from California or from places that are very expensive compared to Palm Coast because it puts it puts things into perspective when they say, "Wow, I can get get into something for three hundred fifty, four hundred grand," and I'm not even there's nothing that I could remotely afford where I live. So it's sort of like a we're sort of a hopeful beacon, right, for people looking to live close to the ocean and do so relatively affordably. Yeah, yeah, and what I'm sure. seeing in the market, the way I, I read the percentage of cash sales and, and the increase in high the high-end market 
you know, Beachside is, is doing real well. And the million-dollar number is finding its way this side of the intercoastal. Uh, the Tidelands has had a million-dollar sanctuary has uh, along uh, the west side of the intercoastal down in Flagler Beach, uh, Palm Coast Plantation. They've all had their million-dollar homes. Now, we just didn't used to see them this side of the intercoastal. But this market... Um, it's it's hard to understand because I don't think we've ever had a market quite like this before. Demand is very strong. Uh, the people that are coming down here with cash, when when they could get a three and a half percent mortgage, well, heck, that's almost like free money. Might as well do it. But now that the interest rates are up in the seven and a half eight percent range. Um, they're saying, "Well, gee, I can do something smarter with my ca- uh, with my cash, or put or put it in just put it in real estate as a darn good investment right now." Yeah, I mean, when the if the uh, interest rates you know return, I don't think we're going to have two percent interest rates again unless we have something terrible no, I don't, happen. I don't. I don't yeah. think we're never. I don't think we'll have. Well, of course, I'm. I'm 80 years old now, so it's easy for me to say, well, not in my lifetime. <laughs> it's a lot easier than it is for you to say. But uh, I don't. I think the uh, 2 and 3% mortgages were an aberration. And if you look at the mortgage numbers over the last 75 years, uh, we're at seven, roughly 7, 7.5% now. And when I moved here in 2000, I got a 7% mortgage. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Right. Well, the, the interest rate's only as silly as the Federal Reserve Chairman. So you could always get some whack job in there and puts well, it back to free money. The point I was going to make is that um, if now – if you if you are uh, full of equity, right? Mm-hmm. And just like you're saying, Toby, uh, maybe it's not the smartest thing to you know to get a loan when the rates are here. But if the rates slip back down, you, you, you can do a, a home equity or you know a cash out re, uh, refinance or something like that and be back in the position that you want to be in the future mm-hmm. if that's the position you're starting with an equ- high equity position mm-hmm. to start well, with. Last month, uh, two of the homes over a million dollars were financed through seller financing. So, uh, you know, whether you're buying or selling a million dollar house, you, you're up in a, a in the stratosphere sort of. Mm-hmm. And so for, if you're selling, uh, you could do a self a seller financing loan at eight or nine percent, and you're not going to get that in a, in a money market, right? Yeah. So it's just a, you know these are things that we haven't seen before. Yeah, so that's, and that's, it's also what's generally not reported on, right? All you mm-hmm. hear is that the higher interest rates are are you know creating a position where fewer people have access to um, buying a home, which is true, right? The higher the monthly uh, payment is that does exclude folks from the being uh, able to buy guilty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and we have. I've I've been saying for over a year now. Uh, I I call it the great uh, blue to red state migration, mm-hmm. and predominantly from the large uh, urban areas, not the rural areas. But uh, the, these people are concerned about crime. Very concerned. They're afraid to go out of their homes sometimes, even in the daytime. They're worried about the education system. They're worried that their business might be shut down at the next hint of a whatever emergency order you want to declare under. And and these are uh, 
and they have financial concerns. And taxes, for instance, and our tax rate is very appealing here. And these are very visceral level feelings. It's Maslow hierarchy of needs at you know, almost the bottom layer, mm-hmm. food and shelter. So if they can come here, they will. And it doesn't matter whether the interest rate's 3 or 7%. They just they want to get the hell out of where they are. And uh, they don't care what, what the inflation rate is. They, they just want to get here. And so I tell people that Florida's the new California. Well, the California, well, you wouldn't remember, but in the 50s, 60s, early 70s, California was cheap and right. everybody wanted to go. It's a beautiful place, affordable. Now we're becoming that that state. Yeah. And we're going to have, this is just the beginning of a wave that's going to last for at least a couple decades. You know, Ray, Ray's from Lee County. So is he from blue blue hair to red county? How does that work? <laughs> All-time uh, most rushing yards, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have some sort of record there? Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. You ready? You ready? Uh, he was on a Pop Warner team with Deion Sanders, but he had more rushing yards than Deion. <laughs> <laughs> That's the claim to fame, right? You should have quit. Did you quit after Pee Wee because of that and just put that no, on the mantle? No, no, I went forward. But, uh, <laughs> Okay, well, we have to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back. I hope you'll stay stay tuned. And Flagler County went straight to the front row when it came to the need and commitment. Free for All Friday, where local newsmakers talk it out. I mean, we don't swing from chandeliers or anything like that. That half-cent sales tax that we have collected over time has been used in great regards towards our school district. Hi, I'm David Ayers. Join me and Brian McMillan every Friday morning following the news at 9 on WNZF and worldwide on the Flagler Radio mobile app. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for staying with us. This is the second half of Real Estate Matters, brought to you by the Flagler County Home Builders Association, Klein Construction, American Village, and Hammond Community Church. We have uh, Walker Douglas, of course. I didn't introduce him because he's been around. That's okay. Everybody knows him. I'll just be quiet. Okay. And we have Jason DiLorenzo from the city of Palm Coast, chief of staff, and Ray Tyner from the city. He's the deputy chief development officer and we're going to be talking they're going to be here the rest of this show and next week as well and we're talking about the process that developers have to go through to to get from a piece of dirt to a a built-out community or commercial or mixed-use development you know toby earlier when you were kind of introducing that topic um you mentioned you know going from an ag, an agricultural piece, perhaps silviculture, you know, to a palace. And even one thing to remember, I think not everyone does, is that even that agricultural piece has development rights on it, Mm -hmm. right? It -hmm. it, it might not sound like it because it's got trees and it's, that's all it is, but it still has rights. And getting, um, you know, we review applications. We don't go chase folks to uh, develop in the city, right? We, applicants come to us and say, this is what I'd like to do with my property. And that's the position we start with is that what are the initial development rights on this property? And then we 
go from there for what what is their request and then we process that request in a nutshell we process that request to um the policies in the comprehensive plan and uh what has been approved by city council through the land development code that's an important distinction because developed property rights are basically what set america apart from every other country until that point in history you know that was a relatively new idea is landowners' rights. Right. In China, you, you the government owns all the property. You have the ability to build on it, but you don't own the land. Yeah. And that's true to this day. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure we got through today is the concept of we have the different layers of regulations. I mean, we, we, you know, start with the comprehensive plan. You got the future land use map and the land development code and you got your building codes architectural standards then you've got the leftovers uh, that come to the city of Palm Coast because Palm Coast was a master development master plan development so you have kind of the vestiges of CC&Rs that the city is for instance you've got to have a certain color palette for your for your home things like that yeah that's and, a leftover yeah. although it's been um Altered over the years yeah, and well, modified, yeah. That's the point I, I, I want to make that really clear because I've uh, lately I've heard um, a lot of people commenting publicly at the meetings and saying that, you know, it's zoned such and such a way and it should stay that way. We shouldn't be changing these things. And the reality is that things do change. You know, I, I'm 80 years old and when I moved here I was – I was uh, in my fifties, uh, so I'm I'm different. I'm not what I was then, unfortunately. Although some people would say it's it's been an improvement because <laughs> I stay home more. <laughs> but uh, you know, the these are designed to be looked at and in in view of changes and options, and you you know some of it is subjective. And they they can be modified, and there are processes to go through to amend the comprehensive plan, to amend the zoning, change the zoning, change densities, change the uses. And it's intended to be that way. Yeah, our land development code, you know, calls out that process. Mm -hmm. So just just to go back to year 2000, right, 1999 or December when the city became a city, I'm just going to focus on the zoning right now. We inherited – you know, the zoning that the county had in place. It wasn't like we, when we became a city, there was no zoning and then and then we put the zoning on. So a lot of these land rights and entitlements came when we became a city. Mm-hmm. So you have that in place already. So when we developed and, and, and did our land development code when it was finally adopted in 2008, it really specifically calls out, you know, um, what you need to do and what criteria that you you need to be in compliance with to do a rezoning because everybody has a right to to rezone their property and rezone their use and it's it's our you know planning board that makes a recommendation or city council ultimately you know following that criteria to see if they meet that quite criteria to change that zoning and I can tell you you know when when we uh, in in two thousand you know for example you know a lot of multifamily was uh, we inherited that up in the Matanzas Woods neighborhood we had like mm-hmm. eight eight parcels 
that were multifamily really inappropriate and in, in people's literally in people's backyards. Mm-hmm. So over the years, we worked with uh, some of those uh, landowners to to appropriately you know zone it. What we we thought per, per our land development code to rezone that property to to residential instead of multifamily. Right. So there's there's places where multifamily is very appropriate. And there's places where multifamily, like in, in people's backyards, where it's not appropriate. We inherit that, but those are those rights, and everyone has a, a right to to rezone their property. Yeah, and in Florida, you know, private property rights are very strong in Florida. You mm-hmm. know, stronger than mm-hmm. than most parts of the nation. So, you know, that process of moving a multifamily um, zone properties into single family zone properties, you have to have a willing uh, a willing landowner to help you accomplish that because mm-hmm. you know you can't unilaterally down zone you can't change someone's zoning uh with, without their mm-hmm. input well and they have property rights but the uh uh original plan the, the in the club c-l-u-p i love acronyms especially when it <laughs> sound like, like dirty words uh <laughs> But anyway, the uh, comprehensive land use plan, that was an IT&T Levitt creation from 1977. And it laid out the future of Palm Coast. And what they were were planning was a community that uh, has less, they had um, the quarter acre lots, this uh, traditional 45,000 roughly quarter acre lots that IT&T planned. Uh, some of them are duplex lots, and some of them are single-family lots. But the total of all of those being built out was going to be less than 50% of the total housing units in the city. And this is, you know, I I, I go to these meetings, and people stand up and say, I want this to be the way IT&T planned it. Well, I, they probably don't. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then and then there's there's uh up up zoning that goes on under the covers that we don't notice. Uh there are over five thousand lots in the city of Palm Coast that were were laid out to be duplex. But it's zoned residential, you know, and you can build a you can build a single family home on a duplex lot and a lot of people wanted to do that because they tended to be another ten foot. That's wider. Right. I actually think that decision to allow single-family homes on duplex lots was a very important decision, and I'm not sure that at the time it um, was thought of in this way. Right mm-hmm. nowadays, um, we realize that it, uh, having a diversity of housing in a neighborhood is really good, and and um, mm-hmm. segregating neighborhoods is not really good. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so having single-family and duplex housing. Um, Duplex housing is single family, but you you understand mm-hmm. the difference. Right. Uh, on the same street is really good for a neighborhood instead of a pocket of duplexes where you know you're going to have a higher percent of renters. And all I mean by that is that renters don't um, generally renters don't have the same upkeep as a homeowner might. And so you have a you know if you have a larger pocket. <clears throat> Of those together, you know, um, you don't uh, get the same feel as maybe some other neighborhoods. So I think the decision to allow single-family homes on duplex lots was a very smart one, very smart. And I'm not sure that that was the thinking that went into it at the beginning, but it's turned out really great. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, oh, I agree, but it but it has eroded the affordable. It's changed the affordability yes, it housing formula, right? Because there are actually um, the uh, single family homes on duplex lots that are already built are almost fifty percent of the total duplex, duplex lots, lots. Mm-hmm. and of the ones that are built upon, it's way more than half of the developed lots. Duplex lots are single-family homes. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know if, Ray, you remember, but I don't think we went in this city. We didn't go five or maybe even six years building any duplexes. And then that picked up again after the recession started to, yeah. you know, after building a, a started to pick up after the recession. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all single-family, no duplex for a long time. And I remember getting mm-hmm. the call. You know, there's a duplex being built next to me. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's duplex zone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then explain the the code that yeah. allows single family. And- I'll say this about duplexes, which is what's interesting is the the opposition to them generally comes from people that are anti renter yeah. um, and think that you know renters will bring down the value of their home or compromise the quality of the neighborhood. There's nothing stopping somebody from renting out a single family home or you know mm-hmm. bedroom in a single family home. And I've noticed that a lot of the op- vocal opposition to duplexes and multifamily comes from people who own single family homes and rent those out. This is, I mean, people on the internet. So it's, you know, it's, it's whether or not that that's accurate, it's made housing a lot less affordable than it would otherwise have been. You know, we we have some really strong versions of duplex communities or um, um, low density multifamily like Arbor Trace, which is behind the Publix, uh, you know, between Oakings yeah, Road yeah. and Florida Park, is a great community. You absolutely can't, you great can't community. buy in there. It's almost like a waiting list. Exactly. I mean, it's a fantastic community. And Brookhaven is another really good one in the town center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, a lot of family. I live in Brookhaven. It's a lot of families, and that's, you know, that's the workforce. That's what we need, right? Yep. I can tell you, back well, in the day, though, that was controversial. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the corner, I'm reading from the comprehensive plan. The cornerstone of the city's quality of life is its housing stock. Citizens of all income levels desire safe, secure, good quality housing at a reasonable cost. And the, the paragraph is much longer than that. But I, I, I think the city has failed on that mission. And, and not that I can point to what they should have done different. It's, 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 it's uh, an upstream battle. Uh, affordable housing is getting just uh, unattainable almost anywhere. Okay, we're, we're uh, this is the end of the first show of two. You get a rebuttal to that on part two, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to say goodbye for this week, but uh, we'll be back next week wearing the same clothes. <laughs> I'm Toby Tobin, and I approve this show. <laughs> <laughs>